This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Yeah, yeah, I gotta take some time and talk with the family and go from there, you know. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's too, uh, you know, right now it's, you know, it's hard to process anything, right? It's, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're shocked and disappointing, disappointed and, I don't want it to end this way because of what happened. Again, you know, it, it hurts right now. So it's, it's, you know, I, I'm gonna have to step back and 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 give it some thought with, uh, with my family. As close to a perfect player as the game has ever had. And I think one of the enduring images that I will have coming off of this season of Patrice Bergeron is that stare at the end of last night's games, before the hugs, before the handshakes, before all that stare that Bergeron had. You just wonder what's going through the mind at that point. And is it just about that game or is it looking back at the career and wondering about the future and what a life not playing in the NHL for the Boston Bruins could be like. Um, let's get to the Boston Bruins here. They lose in seven games to the Florida Panthers. Please be joined by Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey Now, our good pal. So for, first of all, Murph, um, if you look out your window, did you notice this morning, did the sun come up in Boston, yes or no? It is a beautiful day here, Jeff. Absolutely nice spring day here in Boston. <laughs> Uh, but there's a, there's a low cast haze underneath there right now. That's pretty dark. Yeah, I get it. Listen, I understand it. I don't think, I mean, you have to be like the most hardened Boston Bruins hater, not to feel something for Patrice Bergeron. Even if you, I get it. If you don't like 63, I I understand that. I get it. If you don't like McAvoy, if you don't like, I understand all of it. I, I get it. I get it. Sports is sports is just like that. But we look at players that that sort of transcend the game in one sense in that they are as, as I was mentioning off the top, as close to perfection as possible. Like I think of someone like Nick Lidstrom. I think of uh, Jean Beliveau. You know, these are gentlemen, yeah. gentlemen players uh, and elite level players as well. And Bergeron is, is clearly in that mix. One day they're going to rename the Selkie. We know it's going to happen. This guy's going to the Hockey Hall of Fame. That awaits. But you have to have the most hardened black soul not to feel something for Bergeron at the end of that game yesterday. You saw Murph when he's just yeah. staring and I, you're just trying to think like, okay, well, the hamster's in the wheel. What, what, what's going on at that point? I don't know that there's a, a question attached to this one, Jimmy, but just your thoughts on seeing that. Well, I agree with everything 100% what you're saying there. I mean, basically, if you if you can't like Patrice Bergeron, you're probably not going to like Jesus Christ if you ever met him. I mean, it's that's just the way it is. The guy's the perfect human being. I mean, <laughs> wow. Brad Marchand said yeah. it last night. He is the perfect person, and he is. And, it, you know, it's, as a reporter, I've, I've been lucky to cover him throughout his whole career. I mean, I remember him coming in as an 18-year-old, could hardly speak a word of English, uh, Marty Lapointe was on the team then, helped him. He lived with him, and he would, he would kind of be the translator in the in the scrums. And you know, look at how far he's come. I mean, he's a staple in this community, yeah, uh, and a staple in Boston Bruins history. 
You know, there's a uh, Anthony Stewart told me a great story about the World Juniors um, in Grand Forks, that elite level team. I mean, half the team should have already been playing in, in the NHL and they just ran through the tournament and they talk about mm-hmm. it as if it's the, uh, and rightfully so, the, the best junior team ever assembled. And Patrice Bergeron was a big part of that. And Stewie so said, you know, all the guys were out just wearing like, you know, baggy track pants and stuff. And, you know, they're all playing like sewer ball. And in walks this guy who's got like, you know, all the like the, the skin tight dry fits. He's got the foam roller. He's got his activation model already. Like everything about him is and he's young. He's a kid, right? And he's just perfect. And I I think it was I think it was Brent Burns that said, Hey, who's the Ken doll? Like it just seemed like everything everything was like everything this guy did was perfect. And like he was a professional it, when everyone else around him in you know junior hockey and the rule of juniors was still being a kid, you know I've always been fascinated with Bergeron because Bergeron up until he made it to the NHL was a perennial rookie, you know one year at every single level and then moved on. Like his ascendance to the to the NHL was speedy, um, and I think we're all stunned that he lasted until the second round in that 2003 really deep draft. But when I think Bergeron, I think of that guy. I think of doesn't matter what's around him. He has the way that he's going to do things. He has the way that he's going to play. And I think of 2011 where I, I think the possession numbers were like 65 or even 70%. Like when when Bergeron and Chara were on the ice together, Murph, nobody touched the puck. That's how I think of Patrice Bergeron. No one else gets the puck when Bergeron's on the ice. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, and you look at some of the, even, you know, the, the chemistry he had with Brad Marchand uh, and just the synergy they grew over yeah. the years. And you look at when they would kill a penalty, right, how much they would just it, just keep the puck away from everyone. And it, it was like, it was almost like watching the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, the way they would just kind of toy with the yeah. opposing team. And uh, it, it's just something. But, you know, you know, one thing that struck me, and, you know, we're talking about the person there, Bergeron, and, you can go on and on about what a great player he was, and yes, they will change that trophy name uh, someday. But you know, he's standing there, and I, I don't know if you've seen the video of, of the press conference and his other scrum he had, and he's got a hat on. And it's yeah. for the Matt Brown Foundation, and Matt Brown is a, a local yeah. hockey player. I, I actually grew to know pretty well. Was paralyzed playing hockey about 12 years ago, and from day one of that kid's recovery, Patrice Bergeron has been in his life. He never left. It wasn't just, you know, let's help this kid a little and let's, let's do something for charity, for promotion or whatever. No, he, he's in touch with them almost every day. And I'm just looking at it that he's wearing that in that moment just said a lot to me. Yeah. That's um that's Patrice Bergeron. So we'll uh, we'll bracket that conversation for a second, and we'll wait, you know, to to hear his decision uh, officially whenever he arrives at that. And he talked yesterday about you know taking time and talking to his family. Although you know, I I think we all know where this thing is headed. Um, but where are the Boston Bruins headed now? This is not the way it was supposed to end. Uh, after this regular season, after this trade deadline, after things looked so great, specifically coming back from Sunrise, three to one lead. Uh, cruise control, it's all smiles on the bench with Jim Montgomery. Everyone's laughing. We're moving on to the second round, right? Not so fast. What happened here, Jimmy? Uh, well, first of all, you know, who had Bruce Cassidy in the second round of the playoffs and not Jim Montgomery on their bingo card? I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's 
Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's obviously uh, a hot topic amongst Bruins Twitter today. But you know, <laughs> I, I don't think it can really question that decision right now. That that that's not why. And you know, but I will say, I I think that he really struggled coaching in this series. I think he was really out coached by Paul Maurice, and you know, obviously Maurice has got plenty more experience, but. Uh, it was just like he he lo- he had such a great pulse of the team all season, Jeff, and it felt like that connection yeah. was splintered. I, I don't know what happened, how it happened, but they just didn't seem to be on the same page throughout, you know, throughout the series. And then, of course, when he makes the he finally makes the goalie switch, that so many people were calling for him, wondering when would happen. Because let's face it, Almark was whether it was mental or physical or both, he was not himself. And, and that was clear from the get-go. True. Um, and when he made that, you know, he he tells us, "Oh, you'll find out tonight." And so then we're sitting there in the uh, in the locker room talking to the guys after the morning skate. And about halfway through our session, there, in comes Almark, and I'm telling you, from the look of the face, he did not know we were going to be in there. And, and he looked stunned. He was ticked off. He was mm-hmm. frustrated. He threw his pads down at the ground. He got undressed and he left. And it, to me, it looked like maybe, you know, we weren't supposed to know that, and that was supposed to be something to be saved right. until game time, who he was going to go with. It, it just seemed like they were off throughout the series. They they were off, but the the one thing that I that I keep coming back to here, Murph, and with Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey now at the uh, after the Boston Bruins bow out in seven games to the Florida Panthers, the one thing that we said the Bruins couldn't allow to happen happened. And that mm-hmm. was the series turned into Matthew Kachuk versus the Boston Bruins. You saw yeah. it on the Montour goal where before getting set, Jeremy Swayman has to have a poke um, mm-hmm. at, uh, at Matthew Kachuk. We saw people running around. We saw Almar getting his, you know, getting his, his, uh, his mitts off, uh, trying to fight him previous. Uh, he was the perfect screen for Carter Verhage. Like, again, if we go back and, and do the 2016 draft, he... He gets he gets probably picked second overall, and some people I was talking to over the weekend said, you know, you can make a case that he goes first overall. Like that's where Matthew Kachuk's game is right now at every single mm-hmm. level. This guy is hitting it. Uh, how much conversation is there in Boston about how? And listen, Bruins Bruins are no stranger to this. I mean, how many series have we seen teams get totally derailed by Brad Marchand? And it almost seemed like the, the series was secondary. They just let Brad Marchand take over, and they got distracted by him. Um, mm-hmm. But the Boston Bruins got really distracted by Matthew Kachuk and pretty much let him do whatever he wanted. And what he wanted to do was take the focus away from the game and put it on himself and the Boston Bruins, for lack of a better, ter- better term, they bit, and they bit yeah. hard on this one. And, and you know, what's ironic is, you know, when they've got that 3-1 lead, what was the, the common thread to what they were telling the media every day? Oh, we're so happy with how disciplined we've been. We haven't really given in to any of the shenanigans between the whistles. And, and then, boom, they did. And he, they crapped. And he got under the skin of Almark, and it went out from Almark to the defense, to the forwards. And, you know, while he was definitely the classic villain in this series, Jeff, I mean, you've got people calling in on talk radio today here in Boston saying, trade David Posnack yeah. for Matthew Kachuk. Make it happen. They, they don't hate him. They love him here because, he, you know, he's the type of player they love in Boston. And he, he brought that lunch pill mentality, and he was a heck of a pest out there. 
and and they were rattled by him throughout the ser- uh, throughout the comeback, I should say. Yeah. What so so what happens now? Like what happens with the uh, with the Boston Bruins? Uh, a number of free agents, whether it's Tyler Bertuzzi, who at times just looked so good in that 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 Boston uniform, and um, you know Dmitry Orlov looked fantastic too. Hathaway, like there's a this was a busy trade deadline um, for the Boston Bruins, and you know they're heading into next season uh, with a number of questions. Probably heading into next season. Uh, without Patrice Bergeron, maybe without David Krejci as well. We'll see um, what happens this offseason for, for the Bees. Well, what's going to happen is, you know, they're going to have to figure out, I think, a lot faster what the future is for Bergeron and Krejci. And, look, I, obviously they've got the utmost respect for them in the world. And, and you know, I think Bergeron's number is definitely going up there. I think Krejci's borderline. Uh, not maybe not number of time, but he's he's a legendary brew, and he'll go down that way. Um, but they're going to have to yeah. make that decision soon, because because we saw last year how it really hamstrung Don Sweeney and the way he had to approach the draft, free agency, what have you. So yeah. they're going to have to make that decision soon. And I think until that happens, it's anyone's guess how Don Sweeney is able to approach this off season. But I'll tell you one thing: the team that walked off the ice last night will not be together next season. There's just no way possible under the salary cap that it can happen. Uh, it'll be a fascinating offseason. Um, outside of the Boston Bruins, who do you have your eyes on? And I'm talking about players specifically. Like, I look at the Winnipeg Jets and I say, listen, they're probably going to move on from Wheeler here, certainly, you know, and, and Mark Shifley, et cetera. We don't know what's happening with the Boston Bruins in the center position. We don't know what's happening with Philadelphia and Sean Couturier's injury. Could that be a landing spot? When you start to look at the landscape, you know, because right now I think a lot of people are saying, hmm, you know what, Connor Hellebuck might be might look good with the Los Angeles Kings. Are there any mm. players that jump out at you right now and you say, you know what, if Bergeron's gone, I got a minute here for you, Murph. If Bergeron's gone, maybe this player can jump in, or is it still too early? Uh, well, I'll put it this way, Jeff, and was, my buddy brought this up this morning. I think it's it's funny, but it's almost like why not? Why not Pierre Luc Dubois? I mean. I know. Talk about yeah. sticking it to the Montreal Canadiens. If they were somehow able to get him in a trade and he becomes the next number one center in, in Boston, wow. Yeah. Um, but they need, I, to, listen, they need I, to find somebody I, I, like hang on. him. Pause on that for a second. I know everyone's marrying Pierre-Luc Dubois to the Montreal Canadiens, and we all know how his agent, Pat Brisson, um, spoke last year at the draft in Montreal. But I don't think he – I don't think it's – I don't think it's Montreal or bust for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like, uh, honestly, Murphy, like, I wonder about a team like the Rangers. We'll see what happens with the Rangers tonight against the Devils. I wonder about mm-hmm. a team like the Minnesota Wild as well. Like, they've looked yeah. for a number one center since, uh, since the beginning of that organization. And listen, <laughs> I don't think it's outlandish to put that out there. I don't think it's outlandish at all. And yes, it would be juicy and delicious if you're a Boston Bruins fan and somehow Pierre-Luc Dubois ended up, <laughs> ended up with the Boston Bruins and not the Montreal Canadiens. But that's a conversation for another day. Murph, always good talking to you, my friend. We'll, uh, we'll watch with great interest what happens next with the Boston Bruins. Thanks, pal. Yeah, be interesting. Have a good one. All right, all good. Uh, there he is. Uh, got a hustle here. That's Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey Now. Boston Bruins eliminated. The Boston Bruins upset by the Florida Panthers last night in what turned into a really exciting series and one that we thought might have been a quick one. Certainly when Boston was up coming back from sunrise 3-1, to one, thought this thing was over, right? Matthew Kachuk, other plans.
Hour two is coming up. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, uh, welcome to hour two. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, I want to let you know. So here's how the programming is going to work. I'm um, going to talk to Eric Francis in a couple of moments here. We'll go over the uh, the news of the day, which is uh, the Calgary Flames parting ways with head coach Daryl Sutter. So here's what's going to happen. Uh, Luke Fox is standing by. I'm going to talk to Luke about the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's coming up in a couple of moments. Uh, and then we'll go to Eric Francis at around quarter after. And then we'll take it to the bottom. And that's when the Calgary Flames press conference with Don Maloney begins. We will take that uh, as late as we can in our time slot here. If you want to continue to watch slash listen, uh, visit sportsnet.ca or stay on Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. They'll carry um, the presser in its entirety. And in one more thing here about Calgary. So I got a text from someone just talking to Jimmy Murphy a couple of seconds ago about the Boston Bruins and if Bergeron calls it a career, which we kind of all expect that he will, um, who goes in as a replacement. And... Someone sends me a note here saying, if Lindholm isn't opening, isn't open to signing long-term in Calgary, don't you think he'd be the perfect replacement for Bergeron in Boston? So that's a really interesting note because if you go back to 2013, so that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the Nathan McKinnon draft, and Lindholm went fifth overall to the Carolina Hurricanes. Barkoff goes second, Drew Ann third, Seth Jones fourth, and Lindholm goes fifth to the Carolina Hurricanes. The Boston Bruins, now that draft was at the Prudential Center in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I can recall uh, I can recall that draft very well. I think it was the first one that I worked with Sportsnet, or maybe the second one. Um, I can recall specifically the Boston Bruins, who didn't end up, didn't have a first-round pick. I can't remember why. Um, they desperately tried to get into the top mix because they wanted Lindholm. And I know it's a different regime. I get it's a, it's a, it's a new cast. But the interest in Lindholm, if indeed there is something there and something happens, again, predicated on Lindholm not signing long-term with the Calgary Flames, um, the interest from the Boston Bruins organization stretches back to his draft. They loved him. Um, and then he would have been represented by Peter Wallen. Um, and I think Wallen was probably of the belief that, you know, maybe my client ends up a member of the Boston Bruins here because they were desperately trying to get into that top mix so they could get him. Okay, story for another day. Uh, meantime, story for today is the story that goes back to Saturday, and that is the end of the curse, uh, the Maple Leafs curse. It took 19 years, but uh, the piano was off the back of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and now I think we all wonder, what does this team look like in the second round? Now that there isn't this cloud hanging over and this first round fog attached to Matthews and Marner and Riley and Tavares and Nylander, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for clarity on all of it is Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca. He joins me now. Luke, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. You must be feeling good. Lots of storylines to dig into these days. I f- you know what I feel? I, I feel like uh, I feel like I've used this analogy before. You know when you go to a buffet and you grab the plate, but you don't know which area to start in. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about the show this morning as I'm getting up and you know throwing the frisbee with the dog. I'm like, where am I going to start today? There's so many entry points here. 
Um, but here's here's one. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, have shaken the fog, shaken the funk. They'll now face off against the Florida Panthers, as we all expected in the second round here. Uh, what were your main takeaways from, from Saturday? You know, John Tavares scores that goal. Um, it's euphoria. Um, you get all your work done. Uh, you're heading home. And what's going through your mind? And, and has it changed from Saturday until this conversation that we're having now. What were some of the thoughts you've had over the last 48 hours about this team that you cover? Yeah, well, I've had a lot. I think one of the ones when I was finally done my story and was was walking out of the building was just kind of feeling fortunate, right, that you get to witness these moments in person. And I ran into some Maple Leafs fans who had made made their way down there for that. Um, you know, and they, they mm-hmm. explained to me that it was actually cheaper for them to catch a flight and get a hotel and, <laughs> and, buy, and buy a ticket at Amelie Arena than, uh, than what it would take yeah. to go to a home game. Uh, but they just felt like over the moon, the fact that they were part of history. And, you know, as the puck went into the lightning zone, I, I don't usually take videos when I'm uh, sitting in the press box, but I was like, I think they're going to score here. So I start, I hit record and in front of me is, are the healthy scratches, right? Wayne Simmons, Zach Asneries, Justin Hall, these guys. And I, I yeah. was able to capture this shot of the puck going in and even the guys who weren't playing, just leaping out of their seats and hugging each other, fist, fist pumps. And it's pretty cool. You know, you, immediately after you go down, uh, outside the dressing room and you can hear them cracking beers and yelling really happy profanity and slapping each, each other on the back and hugging. And, uh, you know, I know yeah. one of your favorite lines is, is you don't root for teams, you root for people. And having covered yeah. all of these disappointments and being in the, those losing game seven rooms and, and the long faces and just gutted, mm-hmm. you know, hockey players, to a different story. It's just kind of nice and refreshing. And Austin Matthews was standing there and he was going through like, I've been here seven years. Mitchie's been here seven years. Willie seven, Mo 10, Johnny five. He's like this, you know, this is a mental hurdle that we finally cleared. This is a monkey off the back and and you could just see it in their faces. So I, I, I personally, I felt privileged just to, you know, see a great moment in sport. Right. Uh, because it had been so long for that franchise. It's almost like the closing scene in Titanic. It's 84 years. It has that, <laughs> that element about it. Um, I'd love to see the shot as well that you uh, that you took. You know, my favorite, and I, I still think this is the best hockey photograph ever taken. With all due respect um, to the Bobby Orr goal on St. Louis with the Derek Sanderson pass, which is lovely. Um, to me, the greatest hockey photograph ever taken was a uh, Maple Leaf game. It's 1951. It's uh, the Bill Barilko picture, uh, as you know, he's he's you know uh, leaping through the air, uh, taking the shot. Jerry McNeil, the goaltender, is you know leaning back, and it's the perfect it's the perfect place and time. It's that moment in sports right before the puck goes in. Like Nat Tarovsky, the Tarovsky brothers were the longtime photographers at Maple Leaf Gardens, and Nat Tarovsky took this shot, and they captured the perfect moment. You know, Rocket Richard is turned to the side, and he's looking, and his mouth is open. He knows what's about to happen here. The fans are still sitting down. To me, it's that perfect slice of a hockey life right before the place goes berserk. I think that's the most beautiful hockey photograph I've ever seen. Um, but Luke, according to you, maybe there's a, a new contender in what you shot. 
No, no. Well, I, I saw a, a video, um, but but <laughs> oh, you did the video, okay. But 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 no. But I want to go to that that moment before something happens because that building yep. was was so tense. Uh, and I'll I'll tell you a little story between um, third period and overtime. Uh, you know, waiting to to use the the washroom or get a drink or whatever. I, I bumped into Zach Aston Reese who played. The first five games, and you know, you don't want to bug the players too much, but it's you're in small quarters, mm-hmm. and it's weird, kind of, not to acknowledge each other. So, I just said, I can't believe how tense this is. And he's like, Oh yeah, and he lifts up his his dress shirt, and he's like, I got the pits going. <laughs> so, to, you know, in reference <laughs> to how much how much he was how much he was sweating just watching, and and, and like I couldn't even yeah. imagine being involved in the game because just the the tension from the from the fans because there was a a good chunk of Leaf fans there too, um, and you know this could go uh, swing one way or the other with the next goal. It, it was very intense, and to think that the Leafs were right back in that same position, game six overtime at Amelie Arena, and they couldn't get it done last year. So it's kind of fitting that they they kind of reversed everything the the whole way it played out. Yeah. Fascinating, and you know one of the questions, and we listen. One of the um, one of the other great visuals was was Kyle Dubas uh, almost, you know, uh, you know, uh, taking the heads off everybody around him. He was so euphoric um, in the in, in in the box. And there's you know Jason Spezza celebrating. And um, how do you th- how do you think the the Dubas the Dubas story now plays itself out. Like in, in some quarters, this is seen as, okay, this is vindication for Dubas. This is his core that he's locked up. He's bet on. Um, it's now gotten past the first round. We'll see where this whole thing ends up. Uh, we know all about the contract and the offer and the block and everything. And I think a lot of people are imagining, you know, that uh, Kyle Dubas walks into the, uh, walks into the his 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 office on Monday morning, kind of like Conor McGregor entering the octagon with that billionaire strut that he uh, he always takes with him on en route to a fight. How do you see the Dubas situation playing itself out here? Yeah, well, you, you could just tell the the way he's been acting the the last couple of weeks, just how much he cares and how invested he is. And I was talking to some of the players, and they were saying like he's in the trenches with with us. And not literally, of course, but emotionally, I think he is just to the outcome of this. I mean, think of all the years he's invested in and doubling, tripling, quadrupling down, saying, no, these are the guys. But after the, yeah. the game, the game, I asked Sheldon Keith, like, what's different about this group? Why is this the one that got over the hump when the other ones couldn't? And he turned the conversation to Dubas and said, this is the guy who deserves this result uh, more than anyone because he's the guy who went and got Giordano uh, for dirt cheap. He's the guy who thought Callie Yarncroft could be a good role player. And then the trade deadline, you know, I, I, I just keep going back to the trade deadline. Dubas, uh, I think, has matured in terms of his philosophy on how to build a, a playoff-ready team. You know, the fact that he went out and got Ryan O'Reilly, Nolachari was awesome in the series. He's been a fantastic addition. Mm-hmm. I think Luke Shen exceeded so many people's expectations of him um, on his second tour with this team. He was phenomenal. I think the Riley-Shen pairing was the Leafs' best pairing. And you contrast mm-hmm. that with Breezebois, who made his trade deadline about finding a forward 
who ended up getting healthy scratched in two elimination games. Whereas, uh, you know, just a piece like Luke Shen did great job on the ice, but also in the culture in the room. And same with Ryan O'Reilly. Um, so that, that keep kind of mm-hmm. pointed to Dubas deserves this as much as anyone. And, you know, where it goes from here, I think we have to see it play out. How do they, how far do they advance? If they lose, in what fashion do they lose? But, you know, the sense is that he wants to see this through and, you know, it would be hard not to give him a nice raise if this, uh, if this team keeps it going like this. You know, I, I wonder a couple of things there. One, it's never a bad idea for someone to praise their boss when they have success. Yeah, that is a yeah. very veteran move uh, by Sheldon. Listen, oh, not, not this isn't about me. This is the guy that signs my checks. He's the genius. Um, yeah. I say that tongue-in-cheek. But um, I think we all do wonder about Dubas now and, you know, what's the nature of this next contract offer going to be in terms of decimal point? Um, knowing that there's something with the Pittsburgh Penguins potentially out there uh, for Kyle Dubas to say nothing about, you know, other opportunities around the NHL. I mean, he really has, and I know he has his detractors, but he's a, he's very well thought of uh, in the hockey community. And, you know, if, if, uh, if the Maple Leafs ever decide to go the other direction, he'll be unemployed for as long as he decides uh, that he'll be unemployed. But the other thing that I wonder about here, Luke, is whatever happens with Dubas and the decimal point, whatever he becomes the highest paid general manager and you know, seven million for the next 10 years whatever okay to me it's about having final authority on hockey decisions and i wonder how much i wonder how much that is part of the discussion and who that affects around dubis you know you kind of catch my drift and where i'm going here like if, if if they really want to keep him if you're dubis how do you not insist on having more of a final say in hockey decisions yeah, and, and how could he not have a ton of leverage right now, whether that's with the Leafs totally. or, or, or elsewhere, right? I think, you know, this this one series victory has, you know, because he's had so many great regular seasons, and he's made some smart trades. He's made some ones that he regrets, too, for sure, but, but you know, every GM's resume has those. Uh, but yeah. he's also very well respected by his players, uh, and I, I think he's going to have a ton of leverage going into the next contract, wherever that may be. I mean, I, I constantly get notes from people in Ottawa that want, that want him over there, um, just with the, them yeah. thinking that the new owners might make bigger changes, uh, and that would keep him in Ontario. So, like, he's going to have he's going to have some mm-hmm. choice here. Do I think he wants to uproot his family and, and leave? Probably not, but absolutely, no. I think he wants say over over the hockey decisions and. You know, I think he's earned it. You know, as as someone that I spoke to yesterday, we were going through that exact same scenario, whether it's, you know, Pittsburgh or Ottawa or the Maple Leafs. And he said to me quite bluntly, and this is someone that's moved a ton, he said, look, moving sucks. Try to find a way. Try to find a way to stay uh, as much as you can. Um, Last one for you here, Luke, and and I, I thank you for your time. As always, you're quite generous with it. Um, how do you think this team plays now? Like now, all of a sudden, you know, you mentioned the monkey off the back, all of it, you know, skating with that type of anxiety. And like, you know what it's like. You're down there around the rink. Like the city is, is has been tight and has been tense. And, you know, from that first game to, you know, failing to, to close out in Toronto to going to Tampa and everybody holding their breath for three periods plus, how do you think this team plays now that that hurdle that hurdle has been jumped over. 
Yeah, they should play free. They should play very free. And that, that tension that fans see when they turn on their television in game one of this series or clinching games in, in series past, you could feel that off the ice. You could feel it after practices. You could feel it in Sheldon's uh, press conferences. There was a tightness about how they were going about their business. Um, and I, I do yeah. think they're going to be playing loose and free. And they're reminded that when they attack, overtime when they attack the game in tied situations and don't wait to get behind they can see the results from that so that's how what i would mm-hmm. expect that, that's what i would hope for them the counter to that is who's going to be playing more free than the florida panthers like they, they're they're like playing with house money right now so we could be in for quite a wild series i, I think it's going to be a really entertaining hockey like if you look back over the recent regular season matchups over say the past two, three years between these two teams, we've had some doozies yeah. and we've had, we've also had some uh, lopsided scores and get carried away and Paul Maurice yelling at refs, yelling at his own players. And uh, I sure. think we're also good. We're also going to have some great quotes. I mean, I, I feel lucky. I get think of the visiting <laughs> coaches. I go from John Cooper to Paul Maurice, like as, as a writer who enjoys a good quote oh. from the oppos- opposing coach, this is going to be good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you throw a Bruce Boudreaux in there for for a little bit of spice, and you got the uh, you, you got the reporter's hat trick. Uh, my job just go. got easy. Um, Luke, thanks, pal. Always appreciate it. All right, enjoy Game Seven tonight. Yes, should be a good one. Rangers facing off against the New Jersey Devils. Puck drops on Sportsnet just after eight o'clock. Okay, the headline story of the day: Daryl Sutter out as head coach of the Calgary Flames. Press conference, bottom of the hour. We've got a couple of moments with Eric Francis. Eric, first of all, thanks for joining me. And I know a deal like this is slammed for you, so thank you so much for for making time. Um, we thought we would get some clarity at some point this week. I didn't know that it was going to come today, but nonetheless, Daryl Sutter out, uh, leaves two years, just over $8 million on uh, Calgary. does have to gobble that up for, for two seasons now. Your thoughts on today's breaking news? Uh, they got it right, but they, uh, they took too long to do it. Uh, you know, it, uh, this should have happened a couple weeks ago, and it, uh, it would have saved the, uh, the team from having to find a new general manager. But uh, you know, mm. better late than never. They, but I, I, and and I certainly would think it was Brad Treliving falling on his sword uh, because of the the uh, the dynamic between him and the coach, and, and the fact that just professionally they just couldn't get it together. Uh, it was him falling on the sword that I think really illustrated the ownership. Wow, we really do have a big problem. This isn't just you know. Uh, a clash in personalities because it wasn't really about personalities. It was, like I said, it was a professional issue. And, um, you know, the coach just couldn't be managed. The coach could not be managed. And for the betterment of the organization, you know, you need to, you need to listen to your GM sometimes when he says, look, I really need you to take a look at these young kids or play this guy a little more prominently or whatever the case may be. It's all big picture stuff. And the coach had his head down and said, Mm -hmm. no, I, I ice the lineup that I think is going to win every night. And I'm not going to ice a lineup with this kid in it or that kid in it or whatever the case may be. All the various disagreements the general manager and this coach had, um, you know, uh, it would. But it goes so much further than that, Jeff. It, you know, the, there's a general heaviness around this organization, an environment that yep. uh, Daryl Sutter thrives under. There's a fear, you know, where there's fear, uh, uncertainty. Um, you know, and certainly the, the, it sounds crazy, but I'm going to say it's just no fun around here. It's players talk about that all the time. It's no fun around here. I don't like coming to the rink. I, every, it's just too heavy. We can't we can't celebrate the wins. 
And when we lose, it's just even more miserable than you can imagine. So it became untenable for a lot of the players. And I think the writing was on the wall that a lot of players are going to leave here as soon as they get their first chance. We started seeing hints of that a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and I think that mm. getting rid of the coach is going to go a long way towards helping that exodus, maybe easing that exodus. People are still going to leave Canadian cities forever and ever. But, sure. um, you, you know, the, the, the coach situation kind of put it over the top for a lot of guys when they looked to their future and said, not me, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, I think one of the things that really, um, even even supporters of Daryl Sutter sort of soured people on the uh, the now ex Flames head coach was the Jacob Pelche situation. And maybe yep. I'm being just overly like, like too simplistic here. Um, nope. You're there. You can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. I think that one really soured people. I know there are a lot of young players in the game that looked at that and said, "Whoa." I don't want to be any part of that. This is the kid's first NHL game, and you're turning it into a comedy routine. Uh, give me the game sheet. What's his number? What's his name? This is the kid. Everyone in the NHL, everyone in all these rooms, all had their first NHL game and remember what it was like. And then watch Daryl Sutter do that and said, no thanks, I'm not interested. Was that the beginning of the unraveling of Daryl Sutter, or was it just, you know, one point in a long chain of things that ultimately led to the exit interviews and the unraveling of Daryl Sutter? Yeah, I think that was, that was, uh, I won't call it a jump the shark moment, but it was, it, it was a turning point in terms of his popularity, even amongst fans, you know, I mean, fans love um, the, the exchanges he had daily with, with us in the media where he completely, you know, uh, treated us, like garbage, you know, with disrespect, I'll say. And uh, and people thought it was very funny because it's the media, right? Everybody loves it when the media gets beat up. But I think what they saw that day with that comedy routine, as you put it, which I like that, um, you know, it was almost scripted. He knew he was going to, you know, uh, make fun of, of the kid's oh, debut. Yeah. And uh, it was more of an yeah. attack on the media than it was the kid, but it sure looked bad for the kid too. And it was embarrassing for the kid. And I think fans on that day saw, you know what? Um, wow. He doesn't just treat the media like garbage. He, he can do that to other people. And maybe that's just the way he is like him treating our prized young man. Who's done nothing, but everything this organization's ever asked him to do to treat him like that and embarrass him on that pulpit uh, that day uh, was definitely a turning point in his popularity. The, the, the bumper sticker that we've seen in this province for years in Sutter, we trust. Uh, I think a lot of people would have scraped yeah. that off their bumper that day because that was a very eye-opening day and, and also a cautionary tale for an organization that realized, wait a sec, if we do, we do have to get these young guys in the lineup and we can't treat young guys like yeah. this. And I want people to know that after that happened, there was a meeting with the brass and he got, he got uh, in trouble for that. And the very next press conference he had, John being the president of, of the organization, uh, attended his very first press conference kind of stood right next to Sutter to make sure that he minded his P's and Q's. So he was kind of on notice from that moment mm. on. And I think that a bit might have been one of the first times when not just the general manager, but people around the organization, ownership, and the president of the team said, this guy can't be controlled at times, and he needs to be. So the question then becomes, and I'll let you get out because we got we got a press conference coming up here at the bottom of the hour, and you're going to be a big part of it. Don Maloney uh, is going to be speaking about the news of the day. If you're just joining us, Daryl Sutter is out as head coach of the Calgary Flames. Um, I, I think one of the questions now becomes who goes in next, or most specifically, what type of coach should go in next? Like normally, 
we've seen this is pendulum right if you have like the easy players coach then you go to the hard ass and it sort of swings back and forth here um i know that uh, that mitch love is going to get a lot of consideration and rightfully so um i threw the name andrew brunette out in the first hour with uh, with elliot uh, figuring that one of the things that needs to happen here is someone's got to get Jonathan Huberto going. Uh, Brunette had him with the Florida Panthers last season. Too much success. Um, what do you think? Like, which which direction do the Flames go with their next coaching hire? Well, it's such, you know, this. Even though I was pretty sure this was going to happen this week, uh, I haven't really looked ahead to what the options are and and who's the best fit. But I'll answer it by saying this. You know. Prior to Sutter being hired, this organization and one of the big knocks on it was, you know, you can't just keep switching coaches all the time. You know, uh, they had a coach, yeah. uh, Bill Peters. He, you know, he left for obvious reasons. That was a whole other story. But you know, yeah. before that, you had Bob Hartley. Bob Hartley was too hard on the players, and then they went to Glenn Gullitz, and he was he was too soft on the players, and it was like a, a tale of Goldilocks. You know, you needed someone who could have it just right. Or they was a, they were hard on him, but also knew when to back off. And and I and I, I would answer it by saying that yeah, they're they're looking for the Goldilocks solution again. They need someone who can be hard and demanding, but also yeah. commands respect and 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 is 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 not hated uh, by the players. And and I love the lines you draw with Brunette. I've heard that before. Certainly, the you know priority number one or two has got to be to get you know Huberto and Kadri, you know back to their form and so that makes sense but uh yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see and, and it will go back you know once the dust settles on this it's going to be like geez okay so this is coach number six over the last i think nine years for the calgary flames like it's just not healthy but uh they do have a chance for yeah. a clean slate here and that's a good thing for this organization really quickly before i let you go um does this change now any flames players and their thought about maybe leaving the organization when their contract expires or is it still too soon yeah no i i think it definitely uh i think it definitely can change some people i, I again i think it's like pushing a rock uphill running a, a small market canadian franchise with especially with no building uh you know uh, you know you got tax issues you got um, you got scrutiny, you got weather problems, you got all these things that you don't have to deal with if you go to sunnier climes like Florida. And uh, yeah. I, I think that the coach is just a small part of that, but it certainly takes away, you know, this has been a positive week in terms of it looks like the arena is closer to being dealt with. And now we've got a coach being eliminated that, uh, that you know, a lot of people saw as the, the ultimate reason why they wouldn't come back. So I agree with you. I think this can help them moving forward for sure. And I think that was part of the rationale from ownership, which is, geez, we got this mass exodus coming of core players. What can we do to try and eliminate that or or at least, you know, prevent that from being an issue? And uh, today went a long way towards that, I think. Excellent points, uh, as always. Eric, thanks so much for stopping by. Presser coming up here in a couple of moments with Don Maloney. Always appreciate your time, pal. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. You too, bud. Cheers. Eric Francis um, joining us talking about the news of the day, and that is Daryl Sutter is now ex of the Calgary Flames, uh, made official this morning um, by the Flames. They have parted ways with someone uh, with two years left on his deal now and you know, paying him just over $4 million a season. That is a sizable chunk of change, and I don't think Murray Edwards or anyone really when it comes down to it. Now, Doug McLean would always bring this point up when Doug worked with us. Uh, owners don't like paying people to do nothing. Uh, owners don't like people uh, uh, don't like paying people to not work, um, but that's what Calgary is doing right now as they hunt for their next general manager. Uh, now they hunt for a new head coach. Brad Treliving, his contract was expiring. 
as I mentioned, Daryl Sutter still had two years on term. But this is one of those situations where, you know, it's safe to say the damage that would have been done by keeping Daryl Sutter was such that, and you just heard Eric talk about the idea of an exodus uh, of players who, you know, were lining up to leave once their contracts expired um, for the cost of $8 million or just over $8 million. Um, you've given your next general manager a shot at keeping those players and keeping a team together that, you know, let's be honest. Like I looked at this team, maybe you looked at this team as well and said, um, this team should be better than their record indicates. This team should have been able to string together significant winning streaks, but they just weren't able to get out of their own way. Were there growing pains with Jonathan Huberto? Yes. Does he need to be better? Yes, as well. What the Calgary Flames need to do is try to figure out how to maximize this asset they have and this asset that they've um, uh, that they've signed up now for a long, long term. This is a big project. It was pretty clear this wasn't going to happen under Daryl Sutter, that they needed some type of change. So as much as um, Murray Edwards didn't want to say, you know what, I'm going to eat $8 million here, I think he understands this is for the best situation for the Calgary Flames. Now, curious to see which direction they go. Traditionally, as we just mentioned with Eric, it's been pendulum. Good cop, bad cop, fun coach, tough coach. That's the way that things have gone. Let's see what Don Maloney has to say here. Let's go to Calgary for the Flames press conference after the dismissal of Daryl Sutter as the head coach of the Calgary Flames. The next voice you'll hear is Don Maloney. Thank you for coming down on short notice and uh, appreciate you taking a little time out of your day to race over here. Um, as you all know, we uh, announced this morning that we're replacing uh, Daryl Sutter, relieving him of his head coaching duties. Um, as you do at the end of every season, you do a thorough review of your season. I, uh, I interviewed 35 or 25 players, coaches, coaching staff, training staff. Spoke to prominent agents for um, who represent key players on our team, and uh, it became clear to me that we needed a new voice uh, to guide us forward. Uh, Daryl is a good coach and experienced coach. Um, Want to thank him for his three years of uh, being behind the bench and, and doing the best job he could do. Um, just looking at looking at the league today, and uh, you, you look around the league and the coaches and the tenure of coaches, and you realize that after two, three, four years, um, players start listening. Uh, it, this is not something new to uh, certainly to the Calgary Flames. Uh, uh, it's very rare that. Uh, when you start just looking at the other head coaches around the league after after that time period, generally it's it's uh, unless you have uh, winning um, changes are made. So I do feel this is the uh, the best way for us to proceed as a club, and it's an exciting time because we have a good team, we have good players, and uh, if, if what we've seen over the last two weeks watching playoff hockey, anybody can beat anybody at any time, and I'm excited about the getting back. Next year on the ice with a new coach, uh, a new general manager, and uh, and getting back into the, the playoff game. 
Any questions? Thank you, Donald. Over questions, why don't you start here, Glenn? Don, just was the conversation like with Daryl? I uh, I uh, debriefed Daryl for two and a half hours, and uh, it was uh, it was in my mind very thorough, uh, trying to understand, uh, you know, his, his you know what what he did, how he viewed things. Uh, we hey, listen, Daryl is a very sharp man. He's got a good hockey mind. Um, I found that uh, I think in today's again today's world. Um, He's a firm coach, a hard coach, demanding coach. Uh, that there's a uh, there's a shelf life to that type type of coaching, and uh, unfortunately for us, um, I, I think that 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 uh, that his time ex obviously I felt his time expired with us. But, I, he, but this is not taking anything away from who he is and what he does, and uh, his name with the Calgary Flame organization is. Uh, is uh, even in Alberta hockey, it's iconic, uh, the Sutter name. And uh, in my conversation with Daryl this morning, I said, Daryl, I hope we can get together uh, in the, down the road after the dust settles. We can have a coffee and talk about this a little more depth. He's, uh, he's a good person and has a good hockey mind, but uh, I felt we needed a change. Go ahead, Danny. Um, will it be up to the new general manager to hire a new coach? Yes, absolutely. Right. Ha what happens now, I've been waiting on the make a decision on Daryl, and it did take time, and there's a lot of factors to go into a decision like this. Um, but now it's full steam ahead with searching for a manager, and, uh, and that manager and, and I will we'll look and find the right head coach for this club. And secondly, were there, were there players who said that they would not return if Daryl was back? Um, you know what, I'm not going to get into the specifics of my review with uh, players and staff, um, but I felt this was the right move for us moving forward. Brandon Parker, Don, when you when you start to look at that path forward now, is this kind of this, the next stage? And then it's all about uh, the GM kind of position here uh, on, on this for, in terms of what's next. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the logical pattern: is you hire a GM who hires a coach and uh, and a staff, coaching staff. I, uh, you know, we have lots of time. It's the first of May. It's it's not uh, you're not dropping the puck anytime soon. So. Um, but we've, you know, I've been working behind the scenes and starting to get names together, people that I'm interested in talking to. And uh, as we uh, move forward in the days and weeks ahead, I'd rather get something together sooner than later. But that'll, that'll just run its course. Eric Francis, is there any chance that uh, the new GM you'd consider approaching Brad Sterling again about possibly coming back? It's a good question, uh, but I, I, I don't believe so. I, I think. Uh, I think we're moving forward with uh, a new voice and a new vision, and uh, and I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be good for for um, Calgary hockey. If I could just follow up, just can you just talk about the environment that Daryl had created here, and whether or not you thought that was part of the problem uh, with the organization? You know, Eric, it really rather than like like with the players. Uh, I, I'm just not going to comment on, on the, uh, I mean, you've been around the team and you, you guys can talk to players and coaches and, and form your own opinions, but uh, Daryl's a good coach and a good man, but it was time for us to have a new voice and uh, and that's why we made this decision. Go ahead, Moses. No, I'm just following up on that as well, uh, given the, the timing of Sutter's firing and Brad Living uh, stepping down. If it, the roles were reversed, would Living still be in this spot today? Uh, it's a hypothetical. One had nothing to do with the other. Uh, Brad decided to, to, we had a mutual parting of ways. Um, you know, he needed some time. 
I did my uh, morning on Brad, uh, my wake on Brad, the last press conference I was here. Uh, um, no, Brad's going to be fine. Uh, he's a good man. He'll find a job when he decides he wants to wants to get back into hockey. But one had nothing to do with the other. Go ahead, Julie. We know there obviously was a review with with Darrow, and it's come to this. But was there ever any point during the regular season with regards to Daryl Sutter's future and having him let go before the end of the year? And why did it not get to that point? Listen, that's again. Brad Brad was the general manager of this club at the time, and. Uh, You'd have to ask him if that was ever discussed, but certainly, to my knowledge, it was not. What it was? A couple of quick ones for me, Don. Um, maybe for starters, in your exit meetings with the players, what what sense do you get in terms of what does this team need? What qualities are you going to put highly on the must list for your next head coach? Well, again, I, the players were very, very frustrated with the season. Um, as it happens uh, every year, um, I think they truly believe we had a team good enough to be in the playoffs. Um, I don't think we have to do a ton. Uh, obviously, you have con we have contracts going forward in regards to penny UFAs and uh, uh, down the road. But when you look at our group, look at the strength in our group. We had some good news last week when talking to Oliver Shillington. It certainly seems he's in a very good place. Um, told, told me he's excited about coming back next season, which is a, a very positive for the organization. Um, but when you start looking at the depth and the goaltending, the blue line to the forward group we currently have, it's, it's strong. Now, do we have to make some changes? Yes, every year you're going to make changes to make it better. But we have some young people that uh, need to get into our lineup to bring the speed and energy and enthusiasm that you need during the course of an 82 game season. So um, I think more or less it was just the, the disappointment in, in, in just uh, coming up well short of what our expectations were. And, sorry, and what does today's news mean for the, the rest of your coaching staff? Um, once we get a general manager in place, uh, then we'll hire a coach, and uh, and he'll have to determine his staff. Go ahead. Uh, Don, um, could you elaborate a little more? We, we've kind of heard bits and pieces of what might have been said in those interviews, and apparently some of them took over an hour long. Like, What, what did the players tell you that maybe not forced your hand, but is that this was the right call? Well, it certainly didn't force our hands. I mean, everybody has their opinion. I, and again, I think it's today's player, too. You know. 10 years and 20 years ago, you, they wouldn't say boo, generally. But now the players of today, they, they want a voice, they have a voice, and you have to listen to that voice. Now, you don't want to make it the inmates are running the, uh, uh, the asylum, so to speak. But uh, um, they had some real real uh, observations and how we should, how we need to, uh, uh, how in their minds, how we should move forward. And uh, again, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it, but uh, it was just one piece of the, the puzzle. It was, uh, it was, uh, you know, really the whole evaluation was the entire organization, both inside and outside. And, and the agents you speak to, they have influence on players staying here, attracting new players. They have lots of voices. So you just, you try and touch base with everybody to say, okay, what, what's your, What's your take on it? What's your read on it? What do you think has happened here with your, your client or other clients that may, you know? So it's, it's, that's why it's taken 
two weeks of this taking. Okay, just one more. Um, for the next coach, are you looking for someone like Daryl who has loads of NHL experience, or are you open to giving a, a newcomer or a younger voice an opportunity behind the bench? Well, the first step is to get a manager. You know, the manager has the vision and the and the that how we need to play to be a champion and what we need to be a champion, and then that obviously comes down to the coach and, and finding that coach that's going to kind of fit that vision. And you have to look at our personnel, who we have. I still think with our group, we're in a window here that we can win something. And uh, I, this isn't a team that's going to you know, start selling off assets, at least in my opinion. We, we think we have a good group here. We, can, we, we certainly feel like we, we have enough here to be a playoff team. And if we do a good job in the summer and the fall and the winter, we'll be better positioned to be a playoff team next spring. Take a couple more. Danny, go ahead. Don, taking into account what you said about sort of the tenure of coaches around the league, this is this is sort of four head coaches since 2016 uh, for this organization, and I know there are extenuating factors there. But how important is it to have some stability going forward and a, and a coach who can guide with a, a long-term vision? Well, it is uh, it is important. Ideal world. And then you have the real world. <laughs> it's that we're in a results business and. Uh, we have got to stop talking about, oh, if we make the playoffs, we would have been a hard out. No, we didn't make the playoffs. So this team, we want results, and we have the players to do it. We have good players. We have top players in key positions. So we have to get the right manager and the right coach that can connect to the, I wouldn't say the right, a new manager and a new coach that can connect to today's player and get this group of flames uh, drive them to where we, we want to take them. So it would be pretty hard to overstate how important this, these decisions this summer is just for the yeah, organization. I would say that's a fair statement. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting time though because this is new and uh, everybody likes new and uh, hopefully we make the right choice. Don, you mentioned uh, the, the players have, have changed over the years. What, in your observations, how has the game changed in terms of that integration of younger players and is that something this organization maybe needs to do more of? I, I, it's a very good point because I do think the, the younger players now, at 18, they not only do they think they should be in the NHL, but a lot of them can play at the NHL at a younger age. They've been, they, they've been groomed, they've been trained, they've been, they, everybody has their personal trainers and, and uh, nutritionalists and masseuse, and, and they, they don't come into this league uh, anymore wide-eyed and say, oh my gosh, I'm over my head. They expect to get here and play. and. Uh, so I, I do think uh, it's it's a different world that, in that respect, um, but we and and I do think we uh, you know we have an older, experienced team uh, here now. We could use a little more uh, youth and energy into our lineup. As every team, uh, you look around the league, you have to have young players on entry-level contracts that are not just putting in six or seven minutes that can play meaningful minutes to have any kind of success. Yeah, just one, one other follow-up to earlier. You mentioned 20, you talked to 25 players, you mentioned some other you know, scouts and whatnot. Uh, Taking into consideration, did you do any, um, a couple pretty significant players left last summer, one, one as a free agent, one you know, with it by a trade. Any, any kind of follow-up just to kind of see their rationale for leaving? Was that kind of factored no, in? No, that was not. Okay, we'll go to Brendan and we'll finish with Wes. Don, you, you talked about internal candidates for the GM position, some strong guys, Craig and, and Brad. It, would, it, could the same be said about the coaching and, and obviously knowing what you know about your, your current coaching staff uh, that you had in place and, and maybe some potential candidates within 
within the system? Right? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, really, I haven't haven't even looked at the coaching right yet. Uh, I think that the the steps to take are hire the manager that you believe in, and then let's look at the coaching. So I really haven't even gone down that road yet, Brendan. John, there was lots of talk this season about the sort of heaviness around the saddle, though, that there maybe weren't enough smiles in the locker room and elsewhere. Do you see a culture here that needs to change? Uh, again, I, 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 uh, I think we, we underachieved, and generally underachieving doesn't make for happy days. Um, we're optimistic when we hire the next manager and coach, we'll have a, a new attitude in the sense of it's a new, new beginning for, for a lot of players, including some of our coach, uh, players that had difficult seasons this year. So uh, as much as this is uh, saying goodbye to a very good coach and a, and a, and a, and a, a good person, uh, this is also an exciting time for us to say, hey, we're, 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 we're coming in fresh and new and uh, we're going to bring energy and uh, excitement to the building, including the locker room. All right, can I ask one more? Sure. Uh, just, John, what was the conversation with Murray Edwards when as this is going on, and, and what was his reaction when you sort of presented your findings or decision to him? Uh, listen, Murray is—he's—he's uh, uh, he's a very in tune uh, owner. Um, very good instincts in not only the team around the league. Uh, both John Bean and I have had a lot of conversations with Murray about uh, how to move this team forward and. Uh, and if anybody thinks Murray is not re is removed or not paying attention, then they are sadly mistaken. So we uh, we have to continue to move forward, make good decisions, and and be better next season. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so that's uh, Don Maloney, the president of Hockey Operations and the interim general manager of the uh, Calgary Flames, who, by the way, will forever look young. Don Maloney will age and continue to age gracefully uh, as the years continue. And, you know, interesting with that final question there about Murray Edwards, maybe, you know, one of the questions about Murray Edwards and his thoughts on all of this maybe should be, as I'm led to believe, the question of how much of a surprise were these findings to Murray Edwards? Um, and was there enough, I don't know, how shall we say this, throughout the season, was there enough water getting to the village about what was happening with Daryl Sutter and the Calgary Flames? I don't know the answer to that. Um, okay, so interesting in that, um, Don Maloney mentioning that, you know, the review and the interviews included 25 players, coaches, uh, coaching staff, um, trainers, other staff, agents. That's a big one, folks. Um, and it became clear to Don Maloney that uh, the team needed um, a new voice. Um, I do really very much agree with them. There's a really good team here at the Calgary Flames. Like, make no mistake about it. Like, this team is about five minutes removed. I know about the trades and Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, et cetera. But this team is about five minutes removed from being a really good team in the NHL. I know they have to sort out the goaltending. Um, I get it. I know they have to blend in younger players and move in more of the Wolves and the Pelchés and the Phillips, etc. Et but there's a really, really good team here. Um, the, the question was asked about the timing of this. Um, that's something we talked to Elliot about in the first hour in the opening segment, uh, which was if the Daryl Sutter decision was made earlier, 
would Brad Treliving still be the general manager and Maloney, much like we talked about with Elliot in the first hour, you know, very much presented this as two separate issues. And I'm, I'm of the belief that I, I, I don't think that that would have mattered um, whatsoever. I thought it was interesting as well, Eric Francis, uh, you know, wondering if this means that Brad Treliving uh, could be back as the general manager of the Calgary Flames. Uh, Maloney shot that one down and said um, they're going in a, a new direction and a different direction with a new voice and a new vision. Look, Calgary hasn't been a very, as Eric was pointing out with us before the Maloney presser, fun place to be. Now, not that everybody has to have fun all the time. Hockey, professional sports is very, very stressful. And you try to make it as light as you can. But understand at the end of the day, this is a job. And there are millions and millions of dollars on the line with every single decision and every single game uh, as well. So I, I know that there has to be a professional understanding that sometimes things are going to be tough and things will be asked of you and demanded of you uh, that, don't, that don't tickle and you don't like. But I can see the point, and this was pretty much, if you read in between the lines here of what Maloney was saying, I can understand players saying, it just got to be too much. And there's only so long some, we can put up with someone being miserable around us and miserable to us. Um, and I think that ultimately was the demise of, of Daryl Sutter with the Calgary Flames. I think publicly the Jacob Pelche situation uh, where, you know, he sort of made fun of the kid in his first game in the NHL. I think that's the one where very publicly we had an understanding of what it must be like as a member of the Calgary Flames. And that's just the players. I'm not even talking about staff for example i'm not even talking about players in and around the the organization these are just the people that lace up skates uh for a living but i think you get a sense that it it had gotten to a point where the players had i don't want to say ultimately completely checked out but weren't there moments where you watched the calgary flames and said they're done with this guy like you can see it right like generally when a coach is about to be fired, you can see a team kind of say like, okay, we're done here. And there were times very much so that we watched the Calgary Flames this season. We said, yeah, this team has checked out on the coach. You know, the inability to string together significant winning streaks and win games when it really counted, when, you know, playoffs, you know, a playoff appearance was on the line, the team crumbling. I wonder what this means for like whoever comes in next. I wonder what this means for the goaltending. Um, and listen, they've made a significant investment in Jacob Markstrom, and they have to get that guy back. Um, just a couple of minutes here. Um, I want to get Maddie Marchese in for a couple of seconds. Uh, Maddie, is there anything, man? There was a whole lot that we wanted to get to on the show today. I think we did as good a job as maybe we could, given that we had only two hours to deal with everything that happened from the weekend and the Daryl Sutter news. But is there anything pressing from, from, from your end of things you think we should have, we should have spent more time with today? I don't know. Maybe we need to do another hour on the show, Jeff. I'm not sure. Um, no. All right. Uh, carry on. There... <laughs> Here we go. Is it, is it, is it the same pay? <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was a little bit of news and it's, it's on the Ottawa ownership front. And now it's the, yep. it's the, it's the feud that I never thought we needed. Snoop Dogg is apparently joining up with a, a bid. And now we have Snoop Dogg yep. 
and Ryan Reynolds. And as Dan Riccio from, from Sportsnet 650 pointed out, this is the coolest the Ottawa Senators have ever been. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I got a real soap and warm water feeling and a soft spot in my heart for some of those Ottawa Senators teams, which in the last generation were probably one of the best teams to not win the Stanley Cup along with the San Jose Sharks. Um, but it is pretty cool, I think, publicly having like these internationally recognized superstars, um, you know, uh, both lending their weight to a bid. Um, I, I really wonder what's next. Like, I'll, I'll tell you, Matt, I wonder what's next in the ongoing Ryan Reynolds charm offensive here because everything Reynolds has done with the Ottawa Senators and the Remington bid has just made it like almost next to impossible for Ottawa Senators fans to accept anybody else. But I will admit the presence of someone like Snoop Dogg does give you sort of cause for pause. And like, like we saw with, you know, with, um, with the Seattle Kraken, you know, and and they're so they're uh, you know minority celebrity ownership. I just think we should get used to this. I really do. Like, listen, celebrities, albeit you know musicians, um, actors, uh, athletes from other sports, they want to be around sports organizations, and they want to be around sports, and they want to have some type of even albeit equity play in all of it. I think it's good for their profile and it's fun, right? Like at the end of this, for for Ryan Reynolds. Like, I know the Brady family um, from Remington, like, they're interested in the real estate. Like, that's fun for them. That's their end of the bargain. But for someone like Ryan Reynolds and whomever he brings in, should the Remington group be successful here, this is just going to be flat-out fun for Ryan Reynolds. And it kind of reminds you that sports can be fun, albeit, you know, with, you know, millions and billions of dollars uh, at stake. But, yeah, this is this adds another wrinkle to it. If you just thought that Ottawa was this boring, um, plain, vanilla, parliamentary town, it's an economy based on the federal government, and the sidewalks roll up early, and why would you want to go there, and why would you want to live there? First of all, there are parts of Ottawa that are absolutely gorgeous, and I've enjoyed all my times that I've gone there, but all of a sudden, Ottawa just kind of got spicier dare we say ottawa just got a little bit more interesting here it's not just ryan reynolds it's snoop dog <laughs> the ottawa senators now i will say one thing about snoop i will say one thing about snoop uh, if you go back and look at a lot of his videos, whether it's Springfield or the Penguins or whatever, um, he's one of those people in the 90s that made hockey jerseys really cool, and he wore them in a lot of the videos. Always give uh, Snoop Dogg props for that one. Boy, did I sound white saying that. Uh, thanks to Eric Francis for stopping by. Thanks to Luke Fox. Thanks to Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey Now. And thanks to Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, and Matt Marchese all made this production better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 8 o'clock tonight, we've got another Game 7. Juicy, right? Rangers and Devils. Enjoy it. Merrick Show back in 22 hours.